0: What is up, guys? On this episode of NC Raw, I welcome to the podcast my good friend, Jose Guerrero. Jose is a person in long term recovery residing in Cherokee, North Carolina. He is a member of the LGBTQ community. He started a support group on the reservation recently called We Belong and he was here to talk about his process of recovery and a little bit about that group and how you can get involved. Jose is also a member of the Res Hope group with my man Caleb and he will be um, a part of the upcoming Pacific Coast run and voyage along the Pacific Coast. So uh, awesome dude, good conversation. I had a blast talking with him. I hope you guys enjoy it. Give it up for my good friend, mister Jose Guerrero. I'm just an individual, living the miracle, standing divisible, connected. My physical essence of my spiritual presence is visible Totally leaving you unaware of my mental subliminal Used to be a criminal Living so minimal But things have changed in my life is going through different intervals Finding that balance is significantly difficult Timing is everything so my timing is critical Rhyming is literal The unforgettable is why I stand before you impeccably so presentable I give respect so you know that I am respectable I've always wanted acceptance Is that acceptable? I give the rival expected to be exceptional And I'm a grown man business like a professional I chasing my dreams the opinions expressed in this podcast are the views of the NCR team and the individuals interviewed we do not consider ourselves to be mental health professionals. Our mission is to explore the various pathways to recovery and to give a voice to those affected by or involved in the care of substance use disorders. Some content may be mature for younger audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Ready, set, go. Hello. Jose Guerrero. Hola. Jose. (laughs) Guerrero.
1: Guerrero. Sheo.
0: Welcome (laughs) to NC Raw, my brother. Thank you for coming out this evening and uh, hanging with us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: You came uh, very prepared. A little bit. Got some notes in front of you. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) yeah. I love it. I'm just giving you a hard time, man. I'm totally just giving you a hard time. Uh, But I do appreciate you. I've been looking forward to having this conversation. Um, You know, this is our 45th episode. 45. And I was like reflecting today on kind of like my own Growth throughout this process and like how this has like how it's changed and evolved and how we do the shows and kind of what, what we talk about and all that stuff. But one of the things that I noticed was that um, in the very beginning, I was very comfortable in talking to guests and talking to people who I'm familiar with, you know, like my close friends and people that i um people who I know their story. Mm-hmm. Right. And people who are in my close inner circle and, uh, in the beginning, like talking with people that I didn't know very well, I would want to like set up a meeting and like, you know, we were only doing like bi weekly shows at the very beginning. So I would like book a guest and then set up a meeting and go like have coffee with them to kind of like build a relationship and feel comfortable in talking to them. Mm-hmm. And since then, like it's totally changed to almost the exact opposite to where like, I look forward to talking to people who I don't know that well. Because I think that that original, I would leave those meetings, I would walk out of the coffee shop and start driving home and thinking like, damn, that was a good podcast. But we didn't, we were just talking, we weren't recording the show, you know? So like that first conversation would would be the realist and it would sometimes go better than the second conversation. I mean, they're all good, but I just—it's just me, like probably being judgmental of myself and the way the conversation was. But I just felt like that initial like engagement. um, I don't know for some reason. Like the first time we talked was I found found more value in it. The new wore off after a while. I guess so. I guess you could (laughs) say that. So, (laughs) (laughs) so before we get to business, uh, we do my man Kayla McCoy is out at Snowbird tonight doing a Res Hope class at the Snowbird Treatment Center. So he wasn't able to make it. However, we have a new and exciting co-host for tonight, Miss Bianca Dardine, my lovely girlfriend.
1: Oh, Lovely.
0: Lovely. Uh, we're going to use this as a practice run to, for your uh, upcoming episode in February to see how you do behind the <laughs> mic. You me, sh- sh- should I turn the air on? Yeah, probably. I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. going to melt. <laughs> yeah. So, Jose, man, um, kind of tell me, like, who is Jose? How are you here? Why are you here tonight?
1: I am actually still trying to figure out who Jose Guerrero is. Um, <clears throat> I am Cherokee. Uh, I come from a pretty well-known family on the res. Uh, my grandfather, he was chief of the tribe. Um, I thought for 20 years, but actually he was council member for 16 and then uh, chief for four. But um, he was uh, a big, a very important figure in my life. My grandparents both were, my grandmother and my grandfather. They helped raise us pretty much. Um, my mom was a, uh, a younger aged mother and she worked a lot to support me and my sister Um. So growing up I kind of had to, well, me and my sister both, we had to kind of fend for ourselves. Um, I learned at an early age that if you wanted something done, you had to do it yourself. It, no one else was gonna do it for you. So I've kind of stuck to that mentality uh, ever since then. And um, like life on the res, it was, a little different for me coming from a pretty well-known family. <coughs> uh, we were introduced to um, drugs and alcohol at a younger age because our parent, my parents and my uncles and aunts, uh, they like to party a little bit and um, just seeing that as, as a child uh, you kinda got used to it and saw that as a norm. Um, so I've known about that, ki- that kind of activity at a very younger age, and um, I am gay, and having those identity issues at a younger age kind of led me down a dark road because there was really no one else to talk to about that stuff, especially on the reservation. Um, And um, drugs and alcohol started when I was 14. Um, I had my first joint working at a restaurant um, and I was like, this is it. Like, this is what I want to do, but um, well, not really. It it just seemed to be the cool thing to do at the time. And as I stayed around that crowd, I noticed that they didn't care who you were as a person. As long as you had what they wanted, uh, you fit in pretty much. And then from there, kind of just spiraled out of control. I was lucky enough (coughs) to graduate from high school, Smoky Mountain. um, Right up the road, huh? Yep, 2001. So long ago. But um, my father actually died that year too, my biological father. Uh, And the tribe, they were gracious enough to fly me and my sister down there to visit and meet his side of the family for the first time. I've really had a close relationship with my father growing up, and that really devastated me, um, his death. Because he was uh, the one I went to, um, He, I kind of look up, looked up to him. And you were a teenager. Yeah, I was Gra- 17, I believe. Getting now.
0: ready to graduate from mm-hmm. high school, having, you know, kind of like in this kind of probably like experimental, like... Substance checking out substances mm-hmm. and kind of getting a taste for it and enjoying it. Yeah And then you were dealt a, a card that was probably pretty traumatic for somebody at that time.
1: Yeah Um And I really didn't know how to deal with it uh, Therapy wasn't really a big thing back then for uh, the reservation or people uh, in Cherokee <coughs> And so after I came back from that trip, I started using more and more, trying to numb the pain, um, just not having to deal with reality. Yeah. And it never got any better. Um, so I started drinking a whole lot more around twenty twenty one. Uh, I did try to go further my education at Western Carolina University, but um, I wasn't really prepared for that type of environment. I figured it'd be like high school. You just saw your friends and maybe skip class every now and then, but um, no, it was was just a very different type of setup, and I wasn't ready for it. I kind of stopped going to classes halfway through and uh, Were
0: you still living on the
1: res? Uh, no, job? I was uh, living on campus. Okay. And um, so I never finished there and started working full-time different places. I've never really stayed at a job for too long. Um, but I was always working. Uh, if I had lost one job one place, I'd start somewhere new. And... Um, started drinking very heavily to the point of blacking out and um, not knowing what I'd done the next day, not really caring either. And I started getting into the bar scene over in Asheville, uh, Scandals, Henry's, <laughs> the gay clubs over there. Name dropping, baby. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, <clears throat> that was uh, the gay community at the time and I did have a couple of gay friends growing up in Cherokee. Uh, One very important person to me is uh, Amy Crow. She passed a couple years ago. And um, she's the first person that showed me that it was okay to be gay, Mm -hmm. to be who you are and not be ashamed. And um, still good friends with her family, Jeannie Crow. She's watching. Hey, Jeannie. Mm -hmm. Um, Love her to death. And uh, so... We started going over there, hanging out, making new friends, um, just living the life as I saw it. And I got introduced to more hardcore drugs like cocaine and methamphetamine and uh, crack. Crack is horrible. Don't do crack. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was just what you did at the club. I mean, you drank and then you did a line, allowed you to drink a little more and I just thought that was what you did. But a person like me, where one is too many and a thousand is never enough, you never know when to quit. So nights would go into days, days into weeks of just nonstop partying. And of course we had the per cap to um, allow us to do this at certain times. Um, Not saying that's the right thing to do, but it's that was my past and that's how I afforded most of it and I always thought that I was happy that I was finally around people like me but it was just a, a false sense of that and I just started getting more depressed um trying to mask it with drug use and drinking um got into a few relationships that never really lasted uh, because of the drinking or drug use. Um, Mostly due in large part on my behalf. I'm not the best person to be in a relationship. I tend to focus on them more than myself. And I put everything to the side and it's all about them. And I do have very bad jealousy issues. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you your hand over there? <laughs> who doesn't Yep. but uh, I'm, I'm working with a therapist right now to fix that so um michelle f if you're watching hey <laughs> um so i eventually ran out of road to drive through in Asheville, so to speak i uh made some enemies here and there um just made some bad decisions overall, and ended up coming back to Cherokee. And around that time was when my mom started falling very ill. Um, <coughs> excuse me. I am dealing with allergies, sorry. Uh, around my um, early teenage years, my mom, uh, she was working for the tribe, and she got into an argument one day with uh, her boss, and her jaws locked up. So she went to the hospital and found out that she had TMJ, turbomandibular joint disorder, uh, which caused her to grind away most of the bones in her jaw. And the only option at the time was uh, going in and putting uh, metal to reinforce it. And eventually she grinded that away. So they went in, tried to fix it as best they could, and it was just pain management from that point on. So the hospital started medicating her with uh, different types of drugs, Xanax, morphine, um, other medicines, which I can't remember. But slowly over time, she just kind of deteriorated, faded away, um, became a shell of the person that she used to be. And uh, me and my sister, we did our best to help take care of her, my stepfather as well, and so I moved back to Cherokee, moved back in with my parents, and helped take care of her. Uh, went to get her medicines, groceries, did the housework. And that kind of enabled me to, since I didn't have to pay any bills, um, The whenever I did work, I just used that money for my drugs and alcohol. And... Unfortunately, she passed away three years ago next Monday, um, which was very hard for me to deal with, again, losing my other parent. Um, And from there, my meth use became totally out of hand. Again, this is my past, and I'm very ashamed of the things I did, but it it makes me who I am today, and I can't change it. It happened. Um, I would use her medication as money to buy uh, my drugs. And (coughs) One day, uh, probably seven or eight months after she passed, I'd gotten a hold of some bad stuff. I'd been up for about five days, and I was um, seeing things, hearing things, that weren't really there and I'd called 911 five times in one day (laughs) claiming up and down that people were out to get me trying to kill me in my own house not a pretty picture and I was involuntarily committed to an institution downstate in Statesville Um, stayed there for two weeks and I've not touched that drug ever since but once I got out I I had made some mistakes with family members and tried to admit to that, uh, tried to make up for it, but in my mind, I felt like there was nothing that I could do, and I decided to move away to Alabama for uh, f- about four or five months. thought I'd found the love of my life down there, and that didn't really work out either. Um, <coughs> I was still using uh, alcohol and marijuana and moved down there with, to live with him. Uh, we had gotten an apartment. Everything was picture perfect on the surface, but inside I was still dealing with uh, depression, losing my parents, and I tended to take it out on him. Uh, I would get drunk and um, domestic violence did occur. Uh, I was the abuser. And, um, I believe it was, uh, in April, I blacked out drunk and I came to the next morning in handcuffs outside of the apartment, I Was charged with third degree misdemeanor domestic violence. And I was in jail for two weeks, bonded out and I came back home to the reservation. And then the next year I was in and out of court with, uh, going from Cherokee down to Alabama. Uh, finally, got everything taken care of, I pleaded guilty, and I am now on probation for another six months. Um, I have random drug testing that I do, uh, so there's a number that I call every morning. It's color coded. If my color gets drawn, I have to go pee in a cup. (laughs) And that helps keep me clean, I believe. Um, Also... Uh, started taking domestic violence classes and that has really opened my eyes to um, what it's like on the, uh, on the other side, especially um, I was recently in a relationship a couple months ago where I was the abused and um, it's, it's not the best thing to go through. Um, also growing up, I was witness to a lot of domestic violence on my mother. Um, one of my earliest memories was standing outside a trailer with uh, my siblings at the time. They were step-siblings. Um, just listening to my mother being stabbed and beaten. And I can still like feel how cold it was outside and see everything vividly. Um, And that's always stuck with me, which is why I can't believe that I'd become that type of person that would do that to someone. Mm -hmm. But drugs and alcohol uh, can make you do anything. (coughs) So I've been in recovery for the past six and a half months almost. (coughs) And I've accomplished quite a bit. I started a gay support group in Cherokee called We Belong. And... I also reinstated the detox or the NA meetings for the detox patients at the Cherokee Hospital. I'm part of the Res Hope group in Cherokee. Go Shout on. out to Caleb and Caitlin, the lion and the lioness. And I'm also part of the Recovery on the Res group in Cherokee, which meets at the cafeteria at the hospital.
0: Sweet. So you hit Sorry, on. I'm, I'm no, you're there. good, man. <laughs> you're, you're totally good. <clears throat> Bianca's calling for the milkshake, baby. <laughs> I earned I earn that milkshake today. Um, <clears throat> you hit on something that is like, I think that is worth, in the very beginning, you hit on something that I think is worth kind of investigating and kind of talking about, and that is the, um, that the normalization of alcohol like as a child, like seeing the f- immediate family members consuming and... Like in my case, oftentimes overconsuming, and that's something that like you'll happen so often. And it, I don't, I don't know that we've ever talked about it on this show before, but and you don't hear a lot about it. But it's like we're at such a critical point in our development, with our brains or minds are developing, right? And we're, our bodies are physically changing, our brains are rapidly growing and developing. Um, and we're kind of searching for that identity. And somebody, in your case, from the LGBTQ community is e- probably even heightened even more, you know, that, that kind of identity and kind of like it's coming from the res specifically, too. Um, and to see that. So all these things are going on in our mind and in our body, right? All these changes are happening. <clears throat> and then you see this kind of normalization in my case mostly alcohol but this normalization of like over consuming and so what do you want to do you want to see what that's all about right you're a young teenager you want to kind of it's it must be okay everybody all everybody that i love Mm -hmm. is doing it (coughs) so then you get a little taste of it right you get a little pinch whatever you get a little taste right and whoa does that give me some relief from that chaos that's going on up here with all everything that's changing and this, like, searching for identity and wanting to fit in and not necessarily feeling like we do fit in and, like, not knowing, like, what that's supposed to be. Um, and so, like, I don't know... I don't know what... Outs- I don't know. I've had this conversation with my brother. My brother is... So we have I have three siblings, two siblings, three three children in our family. Myself and my sister both are in long term recovery. My brother never um, experienced addiction, but he drinks pretty regularly. But he drinks very responsibly. Hmm. And I mean, he's a pastor of a church. He's a PhD student at Florida State you know, three kids, ten year marriage, like, you know, has a life. Like has what we, you know, quote unquote like the the ideal life or yeah. like the the picket fence oh and the whole like, you know like all two point five kids. <clears throat> all that stuff going on. <clears throat> and so like we've had this conversation and he's like, you know, he's like, I seeing what you guys went through and like having that kind of like close to home, it I <clears throat> you know, set, a, set an attention to drink responsibly for myself. <clears throat> but most importantly, I'm going, I am teaching my kids right now who are like, you know, like nine, six and seven and like five. I'm teaching them, like, I'm not just like introducing them to this overconsumption, intru- int- introducing them to this normalization of, being drunk, but I'm teaching them that, like, I can drink responsibly, and this is how I do it. And, like, when when these conversations have come up, my mother, if she's watching, Tammy, I love you, Mama. <laughs> but, like, she felt, like, like guilty, right? Because, like, we recognize this. There's, like, a level of guilt in the family um, because they they recognize... Because we recognized that that was, like, common commonplace and so like I guess my question to you in this long-winded form is like (laughs) um is like what what was that transition like for you and like how how do we how do we change that culture right especially for the folks that like might not ever listen to this podcast because they don't have any reason to right because they're not in recovery or they don't have an immediate family member. Like what are, cause it's either like, it's either like you drink or you don't. It's kind of like the, if you take a step back and look at like society as a, as a whole, like you're either, you're either abstinent and you don't drink or like, it's just assumed that you drink to intoxication. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of like talks about like, doing it responsibly yeah you know you know what i'm saying well um i don't even know if that's really a question but just like maybe like what are your thoughts there's a question in there somewhere (laughs) i'll I'll try (laughs) to get into that um because that sounds like like what i described in like as a part of like you experienced yourself Mm -hmm. um and being um involved in the lgbtq community and like it not probably back then what in the late 90s yeah, in the late
1: '90s, like you know, it probably yeah, it's pretty much non-existent. I mean, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I think it is up to the person to make that personal choice of whether they want to drink or do drugs, and then again, if they want to do it responsibly. But on the reservation, um, growing up there, I I noticed that and now that there's just not that much to do for the younger generation. So boredom sets in and then you hear about a party somewhere and there's probably drinking, smoking going on. And some families, they don't mind if their kids uh, experiment as long as they are there to kind of chaperone. And that's not just on the reservation, I mean that's worldwide. and so they that um mentality is uh pretty much set on them at that age and they think it's it's okay to do as long as mom and dad say it's okay but um and that was wasn't really my case i kind of tried to hide my use from my parents because I knew that belt hurt or that switch. You had to go outside and pick your own switch. And I always came back with this little raggedy stick and I'd say, nope, go get that branch. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I do believe it is up to that individual to make that choice for themselves. And we as a Cherokee people, I and I know I'll probably get some flack for this, but this is just my opinion. This is what I believe. We as a Cherokee people are very uh, spoiled. Uh, we do get the per capita checks twice a year. We have free health care, <coughs> free education, as long as it's in state. And very few individuals uh, take these um, opportunities and use them. And the rest, we take for granted what we have and we say, oh, that hospital is just horrible and we don't have the doctors or the staff to feel it, but um, we do, and if they just take advantage of the opportunities that we have or the services that are provided, we'd see the better side of it. And it took me the longest time to realize that. um, Whenever my mom passed, I started getting on with Anna (laughs) Lanishki, the Behavioral Health Center in Cherokee, and they have helped me in so many ways. and I implore anyone with substance abuse problems or mental health issues to contact the hospital or Anna Lanishke because they have an amazing staff there that can help in so many ways.
0: I want to ask you both of you guys this. And I don't know if I've <coughs> ever asked anybody this before, but in like talking to different folks, uh, both on the podcast and personally, um, it seems to be a level of trust. That's lacking, oh, yeah. And but there definitely seed seems to be some momentum shifting mm-hmm. into kind of earning that trust back or building some trust.
1: Well, I mean, growing up in a small town, everyone knows your business before you do, and um, at a time there was um, certain issues with people's. Uh, information or um, private stuff that was going on with the hospital. Um, People were talking about, like, say a person came into the hospital and um, it was for something bad. They'd go and gossip and the word gets around town. And before you know it, your business is pretty much public information. But (coughs) Excuse me, here recently, I have brought that issue up to uh, Anna Leninsky and the hospital, and um, they have started working over the years to uh, make that not an issue, not a problem anymore. But um, I'm the kind of person where I'll tell my business, I don't care. There's no shame in my game. you um, probably heard about it before, and it <laughs> probably won't be the last time you'll hear about it. As long as you're talking about me, my my name's in your mouth, so I hope it tastes good. <laughs> but yeah, it's gotten better. <laughs>
0: awesome. Sorry, I'm a. i am I was just
1: that's ca- probably harsh.
0: Fact. Letting some folks know that um, <laughs> the Wi-Fi connection seems to be acting up a little bit, Uh-oh. and so i was just letting everybody know that we will be posting the show um, on our YouTube channel as soon as we finish up tonight. It will be. Um, It'll be posted up there, so just bear with us. We're looking for a permanent home that has high speed, killer Wi-Fi. If you notice the last two podcasts that I did in Asheville, no issues. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Both of them at uh, making hole and just at uh, private residence, no issues whatsoever. So, <clears throat> what is we belong, and oh where did this, where did this uh, this idea or this concept? How did it like come to life, and then like. What what do you guys do? What is it? How do you get involved? All, all the good stuff.
1: We Belong started over uh, just a cigarette break, actually. <laughs> There's a peer support specialist at Anna Loneski. Her name's Jill Wright-Smith. Hey, Jill. Hope you're watching. Oh. She's on there. Oh, cool. And um, after my mom passed, she she helped me quite a bit get through that, as well as my therapist at the time. And we were just sitting there talking one day and um, talking about uh, life, the pursuit of happiness, being gay in Cherokee, what it meant for us to be gay and out. And we kind of just wanted a safe place for gay people, bi people, the whole LGBTQ community, lesbians, everyone, transgendered, somewhere where they could be safe and... um, be okay to be who they were, and that's what We Belong is. Uh, We provide a safe and sober environment at the Anna Lenishki Recovery Center and Behavioral Health for those type individuals, and Carter's running loose, sorry. (laughs) Um, But um, it's just a safe place to be who you are. No fear, um, and no one to... um, uh, what's the word? No judgment. No judgment, yeah. No. And so it's been up and down with the number yeah. of individuals that come, but um, I'm always there every Wednesday at 5 p.m., rain, sleet, or snow, unless I have a hair appointment. Yeah. <laughs> Very important stuff. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: um, you, is there like a specific format that you follow? Is it more just like a...
1: Uh, No format. We um, Well, some nights we watch a movie, a gay-themed movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some nights we do stick meetings where it's similar to an NA stick meeting. There's a topic on each side of the stick, Mm -hmm. and you speak on that subject or you just check in. Um, And most of the time we just sit at the uh, conference table and talk about life. Anybody's welcome to attend? Everyone is welcome. You don't have to be gay. Uh, We ask allies and supporters to join us as well, family members anyone um, that is struggling with coming out issues or identity issues
0: it's like overall just a safe place to come and yeah. kind of get some support mm-hmm. um,
1: I mean we don't sit around a table and sing kumbaya and talk about our feelings, we do talk about our feelings but um, there's it's <clears throat> it's not really that, that type of group it, it's just come as you are and be who you are so why did you decide that this type of
0: program was needed in your community
1: It's needed now more than ever because um, um, being gay in Cherokee is not really talked about. It's a very closeted issue and I mean there I know several people that are gay and kind of out to the community, but um, you just don't talk about it. We are kind of religious on the reservation I mean, several churches different denominations <coughs> excuse me but um it's just not really discussed and that's surprising coming from the Cherokee people because in the traditional days before settlers arrived before we were colonized uh, we there were people Native American <coughs> people that were known as two-spirited and they had both the male and the female spirit, and they were highly revered in the tribes. They were actually up there with the chiefs and the uh, wise men and the shaman. <coughs> and it was um, uh, highly praised if, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, if you were too spirited, or if you had someone in your family that was too spirited. And then religion came. We always believed in the one Creator, the supreme being who placed us here. And then once, uh, no offense, the white man arrived and (laughs) uh, brought religion and the Bible, uh, we started to um, acclimate to that way of thinking and that mentality. And then over the years, uh, as time went on, we were, the Trail of Tears happened and we kind of uh, lost a lot of our culture and our heritage and we were made to think and um, learn the ways of the white man. And um, so I believe it was at that point that we lost that way of thinking of the two-spirited people um, as being highly revered. And now it's just, it's not even talked about. Um, I know of a man right now that... uh, He did his thesis over at Western on the two-spirited people, and I'm trying to get into touch with him because there is an issue that I want to bring up to the council in Cherokee. Um, Back in 2014, there was an ordinance passed that makes it illegal for uh, gay marriage to be allowed on the reservation. And that was around the time... That was in 2014? mm -hmm, Around the time that uh, the Supreme Court legalized gay marriage for everyone across the United States. So some preachers got together and decided that they would make Cherokee straight, pretty much. Uh, the gays weren't. If they were here, just don't talk about it. Keep it to yourself. But um, it's pretty much Bible verses. Like, I've got the ordinance right here. I, I had to laugh whenever I read it. Um, But it says that marriage, um, let's see, marriage to be legally recognized, a couple seeking to marry shall obtain a marriage license from and record it with the Register of Deeds in their county of residence. Alternatively, members of the Eastern Band may elect to obtain a marriage license from and record it with the Cherokee Court. The licensing and solemnization of same sex marriages are not allowed within this jurisdiction. So, It's my current goal to get this overturned, abolished any way that I can to um, make this allowed or legal on the reservation. Because, I mean, if not for me, then uh, the younger generation, I want gay people to be able to marry and love who they want, regardless of where they live. You shouldn't have to go to Swain County or Jackson County. Fuck yeah, dude. Cherokee. This is in our history, like. Um, there was no, uh, bias to who you could marry back then and there shouldn't be today.
0: Yeah. Um, (coughs) what, what would it take to get that overturned? Like, how do you, that's what I've got into,
1: I'm looking into it right now. That's what I've got to figure out. I'm sure I've got to get with uh, council members. Um, And when this was passed, Uh, there was only one against it. The rest were four, one abstained, and two were absent. So you got the names of the folks oh, yeah. that voted and everything. I'm going to hunt these people so, Yeah, no. well, that's what
0: that's what I wanted to ask is like, what, what is, because I'm not that familiar with like um, tribal council and how they decide these things. So mm-hmm. what is the process? It gets presented to council and council votes?
1: Yeah, they can vote to pass it. Um, so you can
0: write a new ordinance that says that it's okay. Yeah. As long as you have council members on board to vote. Possibly, accordingly, yeah. Uh,
1: and what can, does that
0: take? Some politicking and oh yeah, lunches and Cherokee is all about <laughs> politics these days. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's about um, who you know and oh,
0: do you do you believe in your opinion that this <laughs> ordinance was presented in um, response to the Supreme Court decision? Oh yes, mm-hmm. Threat, no doubt about it. Yeah
1: and um that was a different time i mean five years later not much has changed in cherokee but um that's that's where i come in i want to start this movement so to speak um because the time to be quiet is done like um for the longest time i was quiet about who i was and um use drugs and alcohol to kind of (coughs) escape that. And now that I'm in recovery, um, I just want to make a change. I want to be the change. And um, I want to be known for something other than what happened in my past. Um, That was then, this is now. And I just, it's really for, not just for me, but for the youth. Um, They are our future. And... Um, if someone doesn't take a stand now, it's just gonna stay in the closet.
0: Yeah. Do you, when you decided to begin to use your voice to kind of tell your story, kind of come out and be who you are. What what was the defining moment that like you were you decided that you didn't want to live the way that you did before? Was that kind of hand in hand with recovery, or was it? I
1: believe so, yeah. Because uh, after uh, the court thing down in Alabama, uh, just, I was tired of living that way of life. And I'd been to jails, I'd been to in- institutions. The next stop was death. And I'm too pretty to die.
0: <laughs> I, su- I second that, my friend. I'll give you some love on that for um, sure.
1: <clears throat> and I just... um so yeah, it was kind of hand in hand. Uh, I just came to that realization that if he has a bump on his head, oh, if I didn't stop what I was doing, I was just destined for the grave. And mm-hmm. had,
0: to to step up and become a leader in the LGBTQ community, that in the place where you yeah kind of feared that prior, mm-hmm. right?
1: I mean it. I don't really see myself as a leader, but other people do. And, um, that just, um, just makes me kind of proud. Like, um, well,
0: I mean, you are
1: by doing the (laughs) things that
0: you're doing, by starting this
1: group, Mm -hmm. um,
0: and by like putting yourself out there and like being who you are, which is a part of the recovery process, right? Like accepting, you know, who we are, what we've done, all those things. But like to like, um, to start this program, to go out publicly and like have these conversations, like we're having now, mm-hmm. go on that. What was that other show that you did? Uh,
1: um, Cherokee now, Cherokee now, go on yeah.
0: Cherokee now, and then uh, the One Feather cover it a little bit of yeah, <coughs> <coughs> We <Weevilaw> Belong
1: <laughs> kind of. Yeah, that's that was like the first like major starting point for the group. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd been approached by one of the writers from uh the Cherokee One Feather. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to do an article on the We Belong group because he had seen flyers or he'd heard about it from a coworker. So uh, I did that interview with him, and it was published a c- couple weeks later, page six news in the One Feather, and uh, it was also placed on the face the Facebook Cherokee One Feather page. I mean, there were the there were some people that were against it, mm-hmm. some were for it. And then um, from there, I did the Cherokee Now interview with Chris McCoy, and that was a little eight-minute spot on local Cherokee Cable Vision, talking about the group, uh, pretty much what we're doing now, just not in-depth. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: You hear all that stuff, though? You hear all those things? Yeah. yeah that's what, that's what yeah. I call a leader, my brother. That's what I call a leader, like doing all those things, putting yourself out there, putting in the work, mm-hmm. showing up every week, right? Yeah. Not to mention, we haven't even talked about that. You have a um, fairly active social media presence.
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, we have our own page on Facebook. It's We Belong. That's the name of it. And uh, about 235 (laughs) members right now, just people that I've added from my friends list and other people from uh, local communities. I see stuff going up on there every day. Yeah, I try to keep uh, different things posted just in... Uh, the LGBTQ community, things that are happening across mm-hmm. the United States, uh, and I'm starting, even the
0: world. I'm starting to see a dialogue
1: yeah. between group members, too. It's starting to get a little bit better. At first, it was just very quiet and like, what is this? Uh, who is this person that added me to this group? And <laughs> there's, so, had...
0: there's so many groups out there, brother. Yeah. There's so <laughs> many groups out there. You going to howl for us? Oh. <laughs> There's so many groups out there. You get added to one every day, but like to see people start, no, 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 no. To see people start like actually using it and taking advantage of Mm -hmm. it and posting stuff and all those things, um, (laughs) shows the presence, you know, shows the presence and the impact that you're making and also the demand, the need for it. Yeah. Right. People wouldn't show up. People would back out of those groups if they.
1: And some have here and there, but um, not too many. It's going to happen. There is a lot of support. Where do you see this thing going? What's next? Uh, Next is this ordinance, the marriage law thing. And um, after that, I'd like to get more members to come out and show their support. Uh, Again, you don't have to be gay. Allies and supporters are welcome. I want to start doing service work in Cherokee, um, just showing the Cherokee people that we're here and that it's okay that we are who we are and we still want to help. We still want to be a part of the community. And I, I believe that's very important for Cherokee people to find their place in the tribe and um, figure out who they are in that community and be something bigger than yourself, help others, treat people the way you want to be treated. My boy Carter is having
0: some fun tonight, yeah. <laughs> son. Somebody um, gave him some milkshake. This is the second time he's been here. And the last time he had a a, a little girl with him and a little boy. It was on a oh oh Christmas yeah. party. And so they were just like, it was mayhem. <laughs> um, it was a lot of fun. So um, your recovery consists of many tools, right? You got, you got many tools in your toolbox, right? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, something that I wanted to pick your brain about is um fitness oh yeah because you're very active (laughs) right Mm -hmm. um how did you how did you begin to apply staying active working out hitting the gym how did you like be? what was that the initial like shift like because um, many yeah. people struggle with it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like we talked you were there when we talked to Tom yeah. about nutrition and fitness and stuff like that. Myself being one of them is like I struggle to get out to get to do stuff. I struggle to do it because like I've always had this like um, metabolism that runs at a million miles an hour. I've never needed the physical, like, you know what I mean? The visibly looking in the mirror. I've never like, okay, I'm, I'm in decent shape for somebody my size, but the times that I do get out there and I do um, put in the work, um, I see, I see the value. I see the impact that it makes. Mm -hmm. So like, what was that shift in, in, in your life that like got you into the gym? And then what role does that play in your recovery today?
1: Um, it was actually when my recovery started back in June. <coughs> I, um, I found that it, in order to help me stay clean, I needed to have something to do. And there, I had a lot of idle time in my hands. Um, so I just decided to go to the gym one day and started working out very lightly at first. And then, um, started picking up momentum from there and I started changing the way I ate more healthy greens, vegetables, fruits. Um, I've always known how to stay fit and what to do through school. Um, just learning in different education classes. But, uh, when you're using, I mean, you don't really care about that stuff. Not Um, not
0: only do you not care about it, you forget about it. Well, yeah.
1: So I just needed to feel my time like during the day and you know, idle hands were the devil's play thing. So I would go to support group meetings, I'd exercise, I'd, I'd started going back to church. But um, exercise was my way of kind of releasing uh, anger or any uh, issues I was having with people or situations. It was my way to release uh, relieve stress. So um, during that hour on the elliptical or that hour on the treadmill, I'd done killed off about five people in my head. (laughs) Um, but it was just a healthy way for me to relieve that stress and, um, clear my head. So I kind of traded addictions. I went from drugs and alcohol to exercising every day, at least three hours a day. And I started off at about 255 pounds, and now I am 185 pounds and dropping. My skinny jeans don't fit anymore, and I've had to tighten up my belt.
0: I'm sorry. Can <laughs> you just go ahead and repeat yourself for the audience that's listening <laughs> at
1: home, my friend? Uh, the last six and a half months, I've lost over 70 pounds uh, due to exercise and eating healthier. And
0: shifting the diet. Yeah. Um. What type of like what type of program? Like what are you working? in? What are you doing? Do you have like a set? Okay, today's cardio, today's weights. Like what do you is there anything specific? Do you have a plan? How does that work? How'd you learn it? Yeah.
1: Um I just learned it by doing it. Um at the Cherokee Fitness Complex, there are trainers there. But um me being a gay individual and out, pretty much everyone knows about me, so I, I kind of get the feeling that I'm not well liked around all the straight guys, um, but I wear my unicorn shorts, <laughs> yeah. um, maybe once a week, but um, <clears throat> so I try to, I just stay to myself and uh, I do an hour on the elliptical, an hour on the treadmill, and then I do chest, abs, uh, glutes, and leg press, and that's pretty much a set routine every day.
0: You got some big goals coming up.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. I'd I'd become uh, part of the Res Hope group, I believe, late September, before the uh, Cherokee parade for the fall festival. Mm-hmm. and That's when you first started getting involved with Res Hope? Yeah. Um, I'd known about Caleb for a while because he'd done the run out to Oklahoma. I was working at Subway at one point, and he'd come in almost every other day. And then I saw his article in the one feather and I was, he was just like, uh, kind of like a, an idol for me. Um, my boy, my boy loves that subway, <laughs> man. i
0: tell you, Bianca's <coughs> looking at me. My boy loves that subway. I'll tell you when I first started the podcast, um, uh, when I first wanted to do a podcast and I would see him, it was, it was six, eight, eight months before the run. Mm-hmm. No, it's, I saw him at the Cherokee Recovery Rally, the one that was outside yeah. at the fairgrounds.
1: I was there for that. I one.
0: heard him tell a story there. And I, at that time, I was thinking about doing this podcast, and so I had reached out to him on social media, um, just just to like set, see if we could meet and see if he had interest in kind of like an adventure like this. And he was like, "Yeah, all right, make me over, make me so at <laughs> <He's got the>, Subway." <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Our, so uh, our first meeting to, uh, is where NC rock came to life. It was at one of those tables inside oh the, wow. inside the subway? Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Carry on my friend.
1: Um, but I'd seen the change that he was starting in Cherokee and <clears throat> just kind of looked up to him for what he was doing. I was like, that's a person that I want to be further, further down the road. And I was, uh, at an na meeting one evening uh recovery on the res at the hospital and people were talking about the res hope group some were against it some were for it i mean gossip happens people talk about you they think um even if you're doing good there's uh, ulterior motives or there's something behind it Um, but i never listened to stuff like that and i just wanted to see what it was about so i went to one of the meetings or the classes And they were gearing up for the float that they were making for the um, Fall Festival parade, which happens every first week of October on the reservation. And uh, many sleepless nights later, we'd finished the float, and I was just grateful to be a part of something like that. I'd never done anything like that in my life. And uh, just walking down through Cherokee with that float, seeing all the hard work that we'd put in, and telling people how amazing they were, even though it made us feel weird. Um, we started, I think we've started a change in Cherokee. Um, of course, walking down, I, I, I heard different things like uh, at the start of the parade, this will always stick with me. There was this woman and her she had her young child with her and uh, they had asked some of the people to give pictures to put on the float. It was a huge mm-hmm. pink heart. And the pictures were of us before in addiction and then one in recovery. Um, and this, I'll never forget this. This woman told her young kid, "Now I don't ever want to see your picture up there on one of those floats ever. Do you hear me? <laughs> I kind of, I mean, I got it. I understood it, but at the same time, it, it kind of made me feel bad. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be telling them that way. There's a different way to deliver yeah. the message
0: <coughs> to where the, a child might be more receptive right. to staying away from the drugs and alcohol.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, but we won first place a uh, business class and it was just one of the greatest days in my life so far. And, um, it was also because of the res hope group that I started getting back into church. Also, Miss mm-hmm. Kim Sanook, if you're out there listening, she was a, a very big part of my getting back into church, too. I worked with her at the Cherokee Indian Village, the Okuna Lefty Indian Village, which is a recreation of a Cherokee village from the 1750s. And I learned so much about our culture and our history and our heritage. It made me be proud to be Cherokee again. Um, back uh, when I was younger, it was just about that per cap check, like twice a year, you were proud to be Indian. Um <laughs> but now I have a sense of who I am and where I came from. And that that's lacking in Cherokee right now. I feel like. Yeah.
0: But um, with leaders like yourself and people like Caleb, like again, like we talk about sh- changing and shifting culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys are doing that. And it's something that like, is so difficult to like do. Like this is, I could compare it to like what we're trying to do at SEC with collegiate recovery, but it's like, you're trying to change the culture trying to change the mindset, educate folks and, and, uh, stuff like that. And, um, no matter how hard we work, no matter how much effort that we put into it, we come from like a society of like instant gratification. So we want to see these results like yeah. immediate, but yeah. these things that we're trying <laughs> to do, like take time, right? It takes a, a a long amount of time. Oh yeah. And so like, you know, I can continue to, I, I Have to continue to remind myself That like I kind of like try to set these little goals Of like Not trying to like Not trying to Look at Look too deep At the impact That we're making today But to like Set these goals of like Okay Every five years Every five years I'm 37 years old Okay So every five years I'm going to sit down And like reflect On the impact that I've made on our community, on the impact that I've made or, you know, that what we've left at SCC as I've moved on and like what, but I can't do that once a week. You know what (laughs) what I'm saying? I I can't do that once a month. If I do that once a week, if I do that once a month, it's going to drive me crazy because I'm not seeing the results. When I do these meditation groups on Mondays and Wednesdays and one person shows up, I'm sure like, you know,
1: yeah. You know what
0: that's like, Mm -hmm. but I'm there, right? If nobody shows up, I sit there for the whole hour and I meditate by myself, you know, because that's the type of person that I am. I have those expectations for myself. And then guess what? My homies start showing up, right? Next thing I know, there's three or four people in there. Next thing I know, I'm getting an email from a mother over the weekend saying, hey, my son's a new student and we're interested in this stuff. And like, but it's taken like, Three or four years just to have these little, these little mini, mini experiences, many tastes mm-hmm. of what I'm trying to build and what we're trying to to accomplish. But my mind, it's not enough, right? Like yeah. I can't, like I want to see more. I want more. I want more. I guess, Is it the, is it the addictive, pa- habitual patterns of yeah, thinking?
1: We want what we want. Or when we it, want it.
0: Yeah. Or is it just like. I'm
1: <laughs> Five minutes ago.
0: Welcome to the conversation, Bianca Dardine. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, in working with Res Hope, in doing these things and being a, an example for the kids, right? Mm-hmm. Telling people they're amazing, right? As you walk down that parade route. You guys, you're, you're doing other things. You're like combining it with your fitness to where
1: now like you're... Uh, we're giving up for a... Huge thing we're doing this summer in June. It's We're going to be running slash biking the Pacific coastline, starting at the Canadian border and ending at the Mexican border. And you're on that team that's going. Yes. And I'd, I'd been exercising and just losing weight before any of this had started. And then once I became a part of the group... <laughs> is when the three hours a day started kicking in and um, I started taking it seriously, just training and getting my body ready to do something like that. And um, so far, I'm up to about six miles in about an hour. And that's running, jogging, um, which before I would have never even (laughs) thought possible. I'm back down to the weight that I was when I was in my late, Teens like nineteen twenty. that's something to be very proud of, my friend. Well, there was drugs involved at that time. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is all healthy and the right way to do it. Um, so you get on a treadmill, you're running for an hour straight. Yeah, is
0: that what you're telling me? Mm-hmm. And you hit knock out six miles. Yeah, Ooh, just boy. About. So I did. I hit the so all um all winter break. The camera keep the camera shaking like crazy. <laughs> Um, all winter break, I was like, I've been, I've been starting slowly to get a little more active and all winter break. So I started like doing this pretty, like, um, this like strength and conditioning kind of yoga at home in my house. And, um, it's been awesome. Like I did it all throughout our, started it in like November, December, and it got me itching to like get into the gym. And mm-hmm. so I was like bouncing around like, all right, can I afford a gym membership. Right. And I shopped around, called some places here in town, the three that are here. Yeah. And you know, I was just like, it was weighing on me. Like, is it, some, is it something that if I'm going to pay $50 a month, $40 a month, am I going to like use it enough and this and that. Mm-hmm. So I decided to just, um, ride it out until winter break ended because we have a gym at SEC. Yeah. Um, that is free to students and it's really nice. It's, fairly small intimate setting but it's nice and rarely used there's not a lot of students who take advantage of it mm-hmm. um so i'm like all right i'm gonna get back in there so like today was our first day back at school right okay yep. like, right, here we go bro <laughs> you've been doing this yoga thing long enough time to get into the gym and um so i rolled up in there about one today got on the treadmill knocked out two miles i was about dead oh. like freaking <clears throat> dead right so then I was like, all right, I stretched it out a little bit, hit my did my two miles, stretched it out, and then I hit another two miles on the bike, and then my buddy showed up. and We went out and played basketball for like an hour, hour and a half, like a one on one, like real pretty, pretty serious cardio. Like mm-hmm. we we're going at it, like we were we were playing hard, yeah, with each other. Um, then we went back into the gym, lifted a little bit of weights, just real not nothing too crazy, because I was getting like a little tired by at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, and then we're getting ready to leave. And I was just like, man, my buddy was like, all right. And I knew I had to, I was going to be coming here. So I was like, oh, we got to get shower. I got to get shower and get cleaned up and stuff. My buddy goes to leave and he's like, all right, man, I'm going to go shower it up real quick. And I was like, and I just heard, I heard Caleb's voice in my head. Oh gosh. I was like, no, no, no. I was <laughs> like, "I was like, come on, dude. I was like, we got to get back on the treadmill and run at least one more mile mm-hmm. before we leave today. Because, um, I just, I just had to do it. Right. Yeah. But now I'm like, I'm paying for it, but, but walking out of there, um, and then we went and meditated. So meditation is a vital part of my recovery process. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been involved with Refuge Recovery, which is like a Buddhist mindfulness based, um, form of treatment recovery. It's a program. Mm -hmm. And, um, so then we went and meditated for like 30 minutes and like between all that, that time, it just like, and then sitting and meditating for 30 minutes, it just like, I, I hadn't felt that like present, that refreshed, that like energy, like the, all the stress from the day of doing my internship and planning for what's going to go on for the semester and doing stuff for this podcast and posting things and all that stuff that like the initial like first day back at school, the semester just started, all that stuff was gone. yeah It had like faded away and it was just gone. And so now I sat and talked with my buddy and made some like serious plans to like continue this and go do it every single day. Um, and continue that kind of like momentum. So like, I totally see like what, what it, that the value in, in doing it, but it's muted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I totally see Carter that has joined us. <laughs> we have a, a new uh, cast member <laughs> on the podcast. Currently, Mr. Car- <laughs> Mr. Carter nations. Would you like to say hello to our guests who are tuning in? There's a million people watching right now on Facebook. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> I love you so Oh. <laughs> you say you love them? I know they're amazing. They're amazing? Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, sir.
1: But, yeah, I get that. Uh, it's, it's a very good stress relief, and it just gets you so in touch with yourself and, um, I feel like that's important in recovery to uh be healthy inside mentally physically emotionally um and it you got to take it slow at the beginning don't overdo yourself because you will get burnt out you could possibly get hurt mm-hmm. um so I, I i i did start slowly and then it just progressed from there um but you do start to see a change and don't feel discouraged if you you're not meeting your goals or you're not losing the weight that you want to or gaining the muscle that you see yourself doing because um, it takes time and I've this just finally clicked with me maybe a couple of weeks ago, but the amount of weight that I lost, uh, I've got this certain goal in mind to where I want to be. And I was talking with Jill, I believe, um, about the amount of weight that I'd lost and how seeing those weight commercials or the weight loss commercials and like Joe lost so much, mon- so many pounds in six, seven months. And it was just a low number. I was like, well, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I didn't think that it would take that long to do that. And I really wasn't focusing on, um, the amount of weight that I lost or how I looked. I was just doing it to get ready for that big event coming up this summer. But, um, I have seen a big change in myself. Um and it makes me feel a lot better about who I am, um, outside as well as in. What do you hope to gain from this trip? Like what are your what are your goals for this yeah.
0: major accomplishment? Um You're talking what, like a couple thousand miles? Yeah.
1: Um, it could take us maybe a couple months. Uh we're not really sure on the logistics yet, but it's quite a distance to um take on. And we were asked <laughs> this question actually in the last class. Um <clears throat> what do we want from to get out of this trip? So what this are is right What is our um driving force that's yeah. kind of um gearing us up for this? <laughs> um, <laughs> cuz I mean in no uh, hard feelings
0: whatsoever, But my boy kind of needs a little bit of, he's really good at achieving Mm -hmm. the goals, but he needs to be like, and we're, you know, I mean, we've had conversations, we're talking about like the logistics and the planning of it, but like it's easily to get distracted with like, because there's so many things going on. Everybody wants them. Everybody wants, has something, you know what I mean? So they're like, what is the objective? What do you hope to accomplish? What are you going to be doing on a daily? You know what I mean. Like, yeah. like those are the types of things that I think about when um, setting such a enormous
1: goal. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I'm really looking forward to the the spiritual awakening part of it, or the, that aspect of it. Um, I am getting a better and closer relationship with my God, the God of my understanding, my higher power. And I feel like something like this will just make me that much closer to him. Um, and also it, it will just be like something to mark off your bucket list. I mean, who can say that they have actually run slash biked the entire Pacific coastline? And in Caleb's uh, in what Caleb did, um, who can say that they've ran the entire Trail of Tears?
0: Very few, my brother. Yeah, very few.
1: But um, and uh, just a of closeness that we'll get with our group and our fellowship with the Rest Hope um, <laughs> members um, is just going to be an uh, eye opening uh, experience. Something I've I would have uh, never thought I'd do um, before in my life because of Caleb and this group, I have this, um, opportunity and I'm not going to waste it. Something I'm looking forward to.
0: It's going to be a, <laughs> a hell of an adventure. I tell you what, brother, it's going to be a, a pretty, pretty amazing adventure. Um, <coughs> one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about Jose that we kind of, it's, we can hear it, but it's muted. Um, (laughs) one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about that I can kind of, um, is the LGBT community Mm -hmm. and kind of, we talked about the normalization of like (coughs) drug use and alcohol, like from the, at the home like perspective, but growing up in a large metropolitan city of Tampa, Florida, Mm -hmm. Um, there was when I was young there was a per- very large um, LGBTQ party scene oh yeah in that community that we lived in in much of my um much of me being heterosexual much of like my partying took place at, like gay nightclubs in t- in town because they were the fun places to be, mm-hmm. right? So it's like very like normalized in that culture. Yeah. So like, what has, um, what has the process been for you? Number one, like, not, <clears throat> not, not being as accepted as you would like in your community, and doing the things to change that. Mm-hmm. But then, Carter, please stop. But then, um, but then, you know, in the small gay community that is there, like recovery is probably not like the hippest thing. You know what I mean? Is there yeah. like, do you, is there any, like, is there barriers with? Have you experienced barriers? Barriers in that kind of culture in that scene, like. I mean, obviously, we always when we get into recovery, we always need to like change our environment, mm-hmm. change the p- change our surroundings, things. people, places, things, all that stuff. So, like, that's an obvious, but like,
1: do you know what I'm getting at? Kind of, kinda. kinda. Um, it's just that there's there are people that are gay in Cherokee, but there's not really a gay community per se, not yet, anyway. That's what something I'm looking to change but um i'd say in a bigger area there would be some barriers because you have that (coughs) that big party scene that you were talking about where it's just um the norm um and but in cherokee um i don't know of too many other gay people that have substance issues if if there are, I just don't know about it. Yeah. Um, there's also not a, I'm big, pretty sure there's there not a big bar scene. And no. Bar, yeah, <laughs> <out there laughs> you've got either, the so casino like, and that's it. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, I guess for straight people, there would be those barriers um, to where they just they don't feel comfortable or they don't trust people to help them because they've just been cast to the side and shunned and called junkies or druggies or all those bad terms that people struggling with substance abuse are um, depicted as. Yeah. And um, coming into the Res Hope group, I realized that those were bad terms to use because you never know what those people struggling with substance abuse are dealing with. you don't know what they're going through, the struggles, the things that they're trying to mask from this by using drugs or alcohol. And so I believe in our community there are a lot of barriers placed against us struggling.
0: Yeah. What do you um where do you see this thing going? This resho
1: recovery movement. Um I see it. Uh, I see it blowing up. Really, I mean, I just. I'm very proud to be a part of this group, and it's just, it's a, we're gaining momentum, and we've got the ball rolling. Um, I see it making a big change in Cherokee.
0: no, no. no, no. Oh.
1: <laughs> we've gone dark. <laughs> goodness the lights are out baby (laughs) but um it's it's gonna make a big impact in the community i feel like it's gonna bring all the communities together and we're just we're gonna thrive from this and um uh hopefully make cherokee a drug-free place for the future so there aren't so many issues or um problems on our reservation for our people (laughs) they <laughs>
0: cramp, dude. Big cramp. Um, I'll tell you how I, I had a kind of a, a realization of that today um, at school. I'm talking, we did had kind of like orientation for the collegiate recovery and what I do. I'm doing my internship there and we had an orientation and so like every, every year we kind of like meet and talk about the new students who are in our program. So it's human services, which is kind of like social work. Mm-hmm. And they have a substance abuse counseling degree. It's a two year AA degree. And so every year we talk about new students who we've kind of identified as students who could potentially become, see hollering out there. Yep. <laughs> students who could, um, potentially become like leaders in the program, Mm -hmm. right? And students who could, um, who would find interest or find value in the things that we're doing and want to become active in this recovery program. And so we got six new students this semester. Every year we get about that in our program, in that field of study. Mm -hmm. So we got six new students and five of them are from Cherokee. Oh wow. It's the first semester that we've had like usually it's like one mm-hmm. out of the five or six seven students. One or two five students out of um six. And so like all of them probably I haven't met all of them, but all of them I wouldn't say that they all like identify as being in recovery or anything like that. But they are coming back to school and seeking a degree in um Being of service, Mm -hmm. right? Getting into social work or counseling or whatever their (coughs) long-term goals are, but being of service and giving back to their community. Mm -hmm. So I just thought that was just like, I thought that was awesome when I heard that, that, those numbers today. I was like, yeah, like whatever, when I was talking 30 minutes ago, 45 minutes ago about not being able to see the impacts, not being able to measure Mm -hmm. the impacts that you're making in the community. Like here I am an hour later, that right there is yeah.
1: is measurement of the work that you guys are doing. And that's amazing. I mean, five out of six, that's incredible. Um, and, of course, we are in the process up at the hospital in Cherokee uh, creating a crisis stabilization unit. Um, it will be two stories, and the top floor will house about 10 to 11 patient rooms the bottom floor is where Anna Lanishki will pretty much have all of their classes uh, for the patients. So it'll be our own little detox place so that we don't have to outsource to different rehabs or facilities for our people. We can have them there. And that's from what I
0: understand, that's the only like missing piece of the kind of continuum of care. Yes. Right. So like Mm -hmm. once that, once you have that in place, then like all levels of care Mm -hmm. are in place, right? And, that's from the Cherokee Hospital yeah. in um all the way out to now to um, all the way out to like aftercare stuff, like mm-hmm. what, you, what you guys are doing with Res Hope
1: and yeah. um, your program. So it's like it's happening, dude. Yeah, it's really happening. But therein does lie certain problems because uh, that's our us as addicts. Cherokee for mo- for most people that's our stomping grounds, that's our people, places and things. Uh So it's going to be up to that individual to change who they are, change what they were doing, change the people they were hanging around and try to better themselves. You can't just expect, um, everything to happen overnight. I mean, and you can't just expect the hospital to have that, um, cure that passages of Malibu promotes. (laughs) 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 Um, one day baby one Oh day. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they'll have a pill. But um, yeah, it's got to be up to you. You've got to want it. And that's something I had to face coming into recovery. I it wasn't to make anyone else happy. It wasn't to um, make myself look good. I had to want it as a person. I had to be done with that way of life. and it's been a struggle. Um, there's gonna be my ups and downs and I'll fall down, I've fallen. I just pick myself right back up and, uh, keep going. Just, I've got that, um, goal in sight to just.
0: Yeah. But that's the mindset mm -hmm. and that's the intention that we didn't have. Yeah. However, you know, a year ago, two years ago, three years, however long that's the, that's the, that was like the, I don't know, like when I reflect back on like my patterns of behavior, it was like. I was Always looking for a reason to party, right? Yeah, it was like, all right, it's uh, it's you know, it's the weekend, it's, or it's Cinco yeah, de Mayo, it's Cinco de Mayo <laughs> Ma- every day. day. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, my cousin's third, my third cousin sister's birthday. You yeah. know, it's <laughs> like there's always something. Oh, we made our sales goal for today at work, yeah, let's go happy hour. You know, there's always a reason to do it, mm-hmm. and now there's always a reason to not do it and like to be of service oh, yeah. to um to live this this lifestyle mm-hmm. that is recovery every moment every day is a reason it's the same kind of like intention that i had prior yeah um you talked about a little bit about the role that your spirituality has played in this process of recovery mm-hmm. and like specifically like getting involved with your church and yeah. doing stuff like that um <clears throat> which it can also being somebody that from the gay community can also be somewhat of a barrier. Oh yeah. You seem to like be able to like overcome that, mm-hmm. find your home, find your place, find your tribe, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Like, and really used that, um, that aspect and applied that to your lifestyle mm-hmm. to allow you to thrive and prosper.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. And it was not easy. Um, I've always had issues with religion and who I am as a gay person. So coming back into recovery this time, I was at an NA meeting one evening and <coughs> there are spiritual principles that we follow. And my friend, Miss Kim Sanu had invited me to uh, Yellow Hill Baptist Church in Cherokee. So I went to church, I believe it was one Sunday, and just sitting there listening to the preacher... Um just taking it all in, not really uh, not really being too serious about it. And I looked up on the front wall and there was the church covenant. And that was word for word, all of the spiritual principles that were that are followed in the NA program. And I was just something clicked right there and felt like I was where I needed to be right at that moment. And so I started taking it more seriously. I started reading the Bible, and then one day at uh, Yellow Hope Baptist, they were talking about um, <coughs> sins, and of course in the Bible it does say that homosexuality is one of those sins. And um, whenever the preacher brought that up, most of the fellowship they were for what he was preaching about how is it, how it's a sin and um it's bad pretty much in the eyes of the Lord. And I started to get down on myself and I started looking up on the internet verses from the Bible that were against homosexuality and I just kept getting even more down on myself because, I mean, it seemed to me that no matter what I did, no matter how hard I prayed, no matter how many times I went to church, that just because of who I was, I wouldn't be allowed to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then I talked to a friend of mine from one of the recovery meetings, and she kind of put it into perspective for me, and she showed me the better side of the Bible. And there are certain scriptures that say that it doesn't matter who you are, come as you are. The Lord loves the scarred, the broken, and he uses us in many different ways. And so... Um, I I kept going back to church, and I didn't let it stop me because I know that my God loves me as as who I am. I mean, he made me in his image. I have his DNA inside me. He gives me the breath I breathe every day, and he loves me no matter what, regardless. And um, I started going to Christ Fellowship Church as well in Cherokee, and (coughs) whenever I started going to these churches, I went up to the preachers and I asked them, straight up, like, what is your stance on homosexuality? And I told them I was gay, and they both gave me the same response. Read the Bible and see what it says to you. And so I did more reading and more research, and it actually made me feel better about myself.
0: Yeah,
1: And that's where I'm at today. Um, I have a good relationship with my God, and I know He doesn't make mistakes. And... I feel like there are those people out there that will not agree with this. And actually, I had a heated discussion the other night on Facebook um, about this subject. There were those for it. There were those against it. And we were we both had scripture to back up our sides. But I didn't see it as a bad thing. I mean, it was a it was good that this is being discussed. I feel like it needs to be discussed more and more. It was
0: a healthy conversation. Yes.
1: I didn't. I wasn't on there bashing anyone. I wasn't uh, making them look bad in any way. I saw their side, but I also wanted them to see mine and where I was coming from. Um, and, of course, there were side commentators from different people for me, against me, for them, against them. But all in all, I was glad that it happened because maybe someone saw that and it opened their eyes to see that... Um, if you are gay it doesn't mean that you can't go to church and that you can't be loved by god <clears throat> yeah. that's the way i see it anyway.
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> it, it, it's just like i don't know i'm not like involved in any in organized religion mm-hmm. you know i do practice meditation and study <clears throat> study buddhist philosophy which is essentially just living a pure and ethical lifestyle and mm-hmm. investigating like how more of a psych, the psychology behind it. So investigating how my mind works, um, and why I have a, such a craving for pleasure and such a hatred for pain mm-hmm. and how I can learn to like tolerate, tolerate the discomfort mm-hmm. and not get attached to the pleasurable experiences. Um, but not through like an organized religion and like what, Um, what I struggle with is like in our society, regardless of if you're speaking about religion or, um, LGBTQ culture, racism, like we're all human beings. Yeah. Everybody has an opinion and like we spend so much energy, right? Like attempting to prove our point or like air quotes, like be right. Like I'm yeah. right. You're wrong. Mm-hmm. Like there's that creates so much division between us. Yeah. And like over time, specifically through this process of recovery, it's like, I've learned to really try to listen more. And like, if you have an alternating opinion on a, whatever topic than I do, like I want to hear it. hmm Kind of like what you did with that conversation. Like, yeah. I want to listen and I want to like, I don't necessarily know know that I'll figure out why you feel the way that you do, but it might open me up to your perspective and to, to, to see how you view and see the world. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that we're not both human beings. And I don't love you as my brother because you have a different opinion on me. The, and with, there's just so much energy exerted and spent by so many people You're right, to discredit somebody else and to prove yourself <clears throat> right. Um, that it's just like, it's, it, that, that part of it is what's hard, is what I find difficult to deal with, mm-hmm. to live with open up your Facebook, dude. I guarantee you within 30 seconds, you can find an argument. Oh yeah. Right. (laughs) Like it's there. It is bound to happen. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't understand why. Like, and I guess like, because we have these, like this form of communication through social media that everyone's like, Oh, it's my page. I got, I got an opinion, Mm -hmm. you know, like, I just, it's just so much to deal with and my, I don't understand why, why do you, why do you have to like argue? Like, Yeah.
1: I mean, I used to be that way. Um, my way was the highway. And if you didn't agree with me, you were dead to me. And, um, I feel like social media allows us to be a certain type of person without fear of, um, uh, like lashback or um, being hurt physically, or we we get to hide behind, behind the the screen of a computer, no repercussions. Yes, yeah. um, so we can say what we want and not get in trouble for it. We we kind of develop this other person, and yes, uh, Facebook has just become. I mean, you get on there. I get on there every day and I see these comments that people make or posts that they put up about just bringing other people down or um, saying all these negative things. And I just, at times I get tired of it and I just turn it off, put the phone down, because that's all you see these days. It's just all bad and negative and you hardly see any good. But that's what I... Did with my page I, ever since I've been in recovery? There's been no th- nothing negative. I've not brought anyone down. I've not um, done any of that. It's just been trying to uplift people and kind of get my message out there of recovery, or it's okay to be gay, or religion. Um, I want to. I want to bring like light to a dark place, which is what I think Facebook has become, or social media, Instagram, Twitter, uh, all of that nonsense. I don't even know how to do any of it. I barely Facebook. (laughs) I just learned how to Snapchat the other day, and I don't even think I'm doing that right. (laughs) (laughs) I hear you, man. Um,
0: Well, how can can someone get involved with We Belong? If you... Someone's tuning in, can hear our voice. Mm-hmm. They want to get involved, support you guys. Yeah. Um, What's um, the process like? How do they find you? How do they?
1: Well, we meet every Wednesday, 5 p.m. at the Onolenski Behavioral Health and Recovery Center. I know that's a hard name to pronounce. I can barely pronounce it, but I'm <clears throat> the address is on our Facebook page. We belong. Go on there. Uh, Request to join the group. Um, I also post links to it. Um, I try to at least once a week. But it's in Cherokee, North Carolina. You don't have to be native to come. Uh, we want all surrounding uh, counties to join if they'd like. And again, you don't have to be gay either. Um, we allow allies and supporters. They're welcome as well. And it is a safe and sober environment. Uh, we just wants you to feel free to be who you are and love who you love without any harm or any judgment
0: kick ass man yeah that's definitely like cherokee is somewhat of like a central location for all these little rural communities Mm -hmm. so like i could see folks from like murphy coming out or frank franklin and communities that don't have something like what you're right what you're offering when i first found recovery the only refuge recovery meeting was in Asheville. So what do you think, you know, I'd go out to Asheville if I needed yeah. to, like it's, you gotta do what you have to do to, to find it, to find that type of an environment that you guys are creating. Right. Um, and I would totally like to come and check that out, dude. Oh, yeah. I'm very, I'm very interested in what you guys are doing and being involved and supporting you guys. So,
1: I mean, w- we have some very random conversations some nights <laughs> but that's
0: a, that's what's needed, man that's what's needed in mm-hmm. this in this world that we choose to walk in
1: these days yeah. you
0: know that is totally what is needed, um especially like we just talked about with the social media and so much other stuff going on. It's nice to have a an environment where you can have those types of conversations. yeah so, Jose, I think I appreciate you coming on bro you thank are, you you're a badass, my friend and <laughs> I can't wait to get out to the Pacific coast with you. Kind oh of, gosh.
1: I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be amazing. Thank you to raise Hope. Thank you to Caitlin and Caleb for offering us this opportunity. It's just going to be so great.
0: Awesome. We're going to do this again soon, too. Oh, really? I like to bring people back. Cool. As your as a sequel. As your recovery <laughs> as your recovery blossoms, so does your airtime. Yay. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in to <clears throat> NC Raw. Visit our website at www.ncraw.life and drop your email address in the subscription box. It's completely free. I will email you every time a new show gets published. I'll email you links to all of the platforms to listen, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. It's out there. And also visit our YouTube page. Click the little subscribe button. We're posting (laughs) all these videos on YouTube. Um, You guys, the listener, seems to like that visual aspect. Yeah. When I first started, I just wanted to do a podcast, meaning like a radio show. I'm an old Mm -hmm. school talk radio junkie, like an old, just, I just enjoy like spoken word talk shows. So I had no intentions on creating a visual aspect, but Mm -hmm. that's what the people want. So that's what the people get. Visit our YouTube page, NC Raw Podcast, and subscribe. Hit the little notification button. So that way, every time we upload a new show, You will see it. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Have a wonderful evening. Night. Thank you.